I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And good morning. Welcome to What's Next. This hour, we're going to take a look at the very uh, troubling uh, relationship that uh, still exists regarding uh, African-Americans and the medical community. Uh, We highlighted at the uh, top of the hour uh, the story of Henrietta Lacks, a woman who died back in the early 50s of cervical cancer, but her so-called immortal cells were then harvested and were used for major medical breakthroughs. However, they were done so uh, without uh, her knowledge or her family's knowledge. This is just kind of a highlight of a topic that is going to be coming up this weekend uh, for the Igniting Hope, Building a Healthy, Just Community for All panel discussion uh, at the UB uh, Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. Leading that panel discussion <laughs> will be our guest this hour, and that's uh, the Reverend George Nicholas. So thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. It's always good to be here. And it's always uh, great to, to have you with us, uh, for sure. We should also mention, of course, that you're the pastor at uh, Lincoln Memorial United Methodist Church, but also uh, the CEO and chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And this, your relationship here really goes back a few years to the African uh, the, the the task force that right. took a look at the disparities mm-hmm. when it came to medical um, and health outcomes for African Americans here in the city of Buffalo. Can you take us back to that time? What it was sure. like? Sure. Yeah, there was. I think it was 2014 or 2013, and a small group of us began to engage in conversations about colorectal cancer and. Um, and and the disproportionate number of African Americans who are suffering about that, and I challenged the group to let's look deeper. Let's look at you know all chronic diseases and seeing, you know what is the what's the story? What's going on uh, in the African American community in this region? And so we began to look at data and outcomes and from the state and the county, and we discovered that you know if you were African American and you were living uh, in the African American community five or six zip codes we focused on, you would be 300% more likely to have a chronic disease than if you were white and lived outside of those things. So we're talking about diabetes and mm. hypertension, different types of cancers and, and uh, heart disease and all these things that that um, can, you know, they're, they're preventable in some ways or at least manageable, right? And, and the reason why we have such uh, uh, terrible... Uh, health outcomes in the black community and the health disparities exist, they're so pronounced that when you look at the, the state does an assessment of, of county uh, health, you know, what's, what's the health of a county? And they look at all kinds of outcomes, you know, that you would look to, to assess public health. And every year, Erie County, uh, there's 66 counties in the state. Erie County consistently ranks 64, 65, mm. one of the worst in the state. But then when you when you begin to look at the data and begin to pull out the poor health outcomes of the African American community, which makes up about maybe about twelve to fourteen percent of the of the county population, 
those numbers are so uh, starkly uh, they're just they're just they're so poor that it pulls the the total number down. So when you look at the health outcomes for white people in Erie County, they're right right around in the middle of the state, right? But the numbers for black people are so significantly worse that it pulls the whole number down. And just to be clear, when we're talking about uh, black people living in Erie County, considerably lower than, say, black people living in New York City? Yeah, yeah. We have, we have some of the worst, in, the, in, in not only some of the worst in the state, but some of the worst in the country. Wow. Right here in the city of Good Neighbors. <laughs> and uh, and that's been documented. And so, so we have been working um, on uh, developing a kind of response. I think one of the first things we wanted to do is to understand the data and then and to understand why it is that way. You know, a lot of times people will immediately jump to behavior and, and behavior is part of it. But the but thing, wasn't that almost a cliche? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what, we, you know, black people eat too much fried chicken and do whatever. And that's why you all got high blood pressure. Mm. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Right. And so uh, every leading uh, health organization, whether it be the state's uh, Center for Disease Control or the World Health Organization or any reputable a medical school or that looks at public health will tell you that what drives health outcomes are the social determinants of health, the lived environment that, you know, will be 60 or 70 percent of the determination of what your health outcomes will be. So when you have great disparities in, um, for example, income um, and wealth, right, well, we know here that uh, in, in this country, uh, the wealth gap is, is is as bad as it's been in the last 40 or 50 years where, you know, it depends on what study you read. But uh, for every dollar of wealth an African-American has, uh, a white person will have $18. And so it's, it's significant. Right. And and then when you look at educational outcomes right here in the city of Buffalo, uh, we, you know, people always talk about graduation rates, but that that's one indicator. But another indicator, which I think is more important, is is whether the child is at grade level, right? And um, there is no question the data shows that African-American children in the Buffalo Public Schools are two to three grade levels behind where they need to be mm. and, uh, and the, the majority of them, right, which, which will... Um, you know, education is one of the best indicators of potential uh, economic advancement, right? And so now uh, we have uh, so, so much massive poverty on the east side of Buffalo in the African-American community. It's tied to a lot of factors, but one of them is the factors of the educational outcomes, right? So you have great organizations like uh, the Northland Training Center that will provide great opportunities for people to uh, get training, to get some pretty good jobs. But you have to be able to pass this thing called the tape test, right? Which, and you got to be operating at least at the eighth grade math level, I believe. And so, and and there's, there's a, a lot challenge. Of kids, a lot of kids are being left out because yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's not their fault, right? And, and I mean... See, we got to understand the, the, the distinction between a person having responsibility and whether or not something's their fault. Okay. Right. right All right. right. You know what I mean? And so if we have a, a, a system which makes it exceedingly more difficult for a person to achieve, right? Well, achievement is connected to opportunity. 
And um, and so if you're if you're not providing the same opportunity for a, a whole subset of people, why would you believe that their achievement would be at the same level of people who do have those opportunities? Right. Right. And so what we ought to work for in this community is is in is that the the educational outcomes for children uh uh African American children in the city of Buffalo and in, in other pockets too uh, would be mirror the outcomes of white children in Williamsville and in Orchard Park and in Clarence that's what we should be shooting for i mean and every child has should should have that right i was just going to say does it frustrate you though when that those arguments about I just just talking about school in general, and we're kind of getting off the topic. But I was, I, knew, I, I had an idea that if I was with you for an hour, I would, we could get into a lot of different things about this. Uh, but that all of a sudden the argument becomes about, well, this is my district, this is what we pay, yeah, that kind of thing. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a moral argument, right? That that you know, as responsible adults, responsible adults have a, a moral obligation to provide a kind of a community, a community of caring for every child, right? I mean, we have that, that's just a basic moral responsibility in any civilized uh, situation, right? And, you know, we got to stop blaming children for for things that maybe they don't have as much control over as we think that they, and, and stop and stop asking children to do, to have, you know, to, to have Herculean efforts just to basically, you know, be able to to do the basic things in order to succeed, right? And so it's all about, you know, what's important to us as a community. And so we can we know that if your educational uh, attainment is not as where it ought to be, then it's going to be more difficult for you to to get a good job, right? If you don't give a, have a good job, it's going to be difficult for you in order to make the kind of income that's going to allow for you to uh, uh, purchase a home or rent a home that is going to be something that's going to provide a sense of comfort and security for you. Dr. Henry Taylor, you know, in his report, uh, The Harder We Run, documented right. documented the just dramatic uh, disparities uh, in in housing quality uh, from the east on the east side of Buffalo, and we saw evidence of it or the outcome of it was when we had our blizzard. And while African Americans make up about twelve to fourteen percent of the of the county population, we were fifty percent of the deaths from that blizzard. And we're looking at some other data with some of our partners with Healthy Link and others that are looking at uh, um, hospitalization, uh, uh, frostbite, and hypothermia and other things, and and the some of the emergency room uh, uh, data from that period. And we're finding just, you know, in preliminary look that there was a, a disproportionate numbers coming out of uh, certain communities. I guess you can guess what those communities were. And and we know that, you know, in terms of the housing stock and um, whether a home is properly weatherized and all these other things will have an impact of on on what happens inside that house if a blizzard hits. Right. So, so for example, if if the power goes out in a home that's uh, at uh, standard, whatever the, there are sure. standards. There are right? definitely standards. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Then you can expect the uh, um, maybe the home to get down to fifty-five degrees, fifty, which is cold, you know, oh, yeah. for but for a short period of time. If it's not properly done that that way, 
And if the electrical system and other weatherization pieces that you're supposed to have in a, in a home that's at code, then that home will drop to 30 degrees. And again, Dr. Taylor speaks much more eloquently about this because he's done a lot of the data uh, and the, done the research. And that's, again, uh, attributed to public policy that has allowed for, you know, uh, housing uh, uh, standards to be at one level in one neighborhood and at another level at an, in, in another. Um, and then the when you then when you put into the equation uh, income and rent. Right. And if you're paying, you know, you know, I guess you probably want to pay about 10 or 15 percent or some 20 percent of your income on rent. But if you start paying, you know, 40 or 50 percent of your income on rent. Right. And and then the, the unit that you're renting is not at code. Right. Then it just creates a kind of of of, of uncomfortable and unhealthy environment. Right. So now, you know, just think about just the stress and tr that, you know, folks have. And, and, and a lot of times these people are working people too, right? And so, but it's difficult in some places to kind of elevate yourself within the work environment you have or find a place because you maybe you haven't had the, the opportunity or the access to the kind of training and other things that can, that can elevate your skill level, right? right? Or maybe you don't have the time, right, to to take that extra course because, you know, you have a child at home and, you know, you can't afford for a child care. All these different dynamics that, that just are these constant hurdles that people have to, to overcome. There's some people who do that. And great. And, I, and, I, and we applaud them, right? But, but that shouldn't be the kind of everyday existence for people in a community just because they're black. Our guest this morning, uh, Reverend George Nicholas, uh, Reverend Nicholas from uh, the Lincoln Memorial United Methodist Church. He's the pastor there, and he's also the CEO and chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. Uh, we asked uh, Reverend Nicholas to, to come in because he's going to be leading a panel discussion uh, coming up uh, this coming Saturday the UB uh, Jacobs School of uh, Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. We'll get into that a little yeah, bit, yeah. but but I'm appreciating <laughs> how you, before we went on the air, you, you said uh, you kind of looked at the city of Buffalo and some of the issues, the many issues that linger, yeah. especially for uh, the black community. And there's almost onto this, this, there's this lacking of a comprehensive approach. And so we're getting into housing a little bit. Now, maybe just to, for somebody who probably talks to a lot of different people, whether they're part of your congregation or others, what are you seeing with some of the housing around Buffalo? Well, again, I mean, it's, it's been documented. Yeah, Dr. Taylor's report, right? And then, you know, in, or, or, and just driving through communities or, or, you know, when I get a chance to visit some folks in, in their homes and, you know, and these are hardworking people that are doing the best they can, right? And um, you have all these vacant lots, you know, on the east side of Buffalo, right? And, and you have some pretty high, you know, rents are increasing for people. Right. And so you have rents increasing, food costs increasing, but income's not increasing. So, again, what, what do you think? That's a not that's a formula for uh, for disaster. We know that, you know, there are issues around lead in the air and water quality. All this has been documented. But yet what what we haven't seen is the type of uh, comprehensive plan. I applaud the group in the organization. I think the, there's a group that just got. 
uh, a federal grant to plant trees on the east side. Right. That's tremendous. I mean, and that's a tremendous first step because, you know, certainly trees uh, have an impact upon the on the environment, right? And 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 sadly, you we found whole sections of the east side where, you know, there were no trees, and they were cutting down trees, which I don't understand. You know what I mean? And right. so, and so, I think that 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 kind of work is 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 very very important, because what's happening is is we have these these health outcomes. Right, that that in some places, you know, uh, people are living ten to twelve less years uh, if you live in certain communities, mm-hmm. and that's just like again, it's just not right. And then you also have the economic impact of you know you, when you have the high cost of health care and the high cost of people who who are struggling with chronic diseases and need very expensive treatments, right? Um, and a lot of those things can 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 be avoided, right, or it can be diminished, right, if we make some some uh, pretty dramatic but achievable or doable uh, realistic uh, adjustments in, in how we invest resources and what we prioritize uh, in this community. So this is why it's so important for us to have these this Igniting Hope conference. Okay. We've had this will be our sixth one, and and what we've been able to do through this this movement, right, is to you consider that a movement. Yes, you feel you feel that type of yeah. Thing. It's got to be because that's the only thing that's going to bring change. So 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 institutional changes will don't come at a level that's impactful unless there's a movement that's pushing it. Right, so systems are designed to to sustain themselves, right? And so, 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 in order to get a, a system to do something that maybe not directly impact its own ability to sustain itself, but is something that will impact other people, right? You have to. They're not good people. The systems don't do these things voluntarily. They have to be. They they have to be pushed quite frankly and um and so by by bringing these issues around health disparities up and then pushing for health equity and one of the you know and here we clearly the covid wasn't a positive thing but one of the positive things that came out of covid so i don't want nobody saying no pastor said covid was a good thing no no but but that one of the things that came out of that was it shined a spotlight upon upon the African-American community and began to show the disparities because we knew that diabetes and asthma and uh, uh, heart disease and all these other things were made people more vulnerable to COVID-19. Well, we knew that there's numbers in these communities were significantly higher than, than in the white community, right? And so, and so we knew that this community was more vulnerable and, and, and nationally, you know, African-Americans were dying at two and a half to three times the rate of the populations in which they were coming out of. That was happening here in Erie County. But, we, but because we mobilized, right, and worked with county government, with, uh, with Kaleida, with Dr. Vasquez was a major player in this and others, uh, we were able to put the COVID-19 project in place 
and and we were able to to lower the fatality numbers in this region to be in alignment with the population. And we're one of the few places in this country to, to, to be able to do that. That's really a worthwhile effort to, to talk about it because, if I'm not mistaken, initially there was a reluctance by the African-American community when it came to COVID vaccine, which yeah. kind of ties back into this, oh, this Henrietta Lacks story right. that we highlighted at the top of, uh, of the story. But Talk about how that was that changed because that's a big part of what you're talking about here. Well, it, you have to have you know real uh, authentic partnerships, right? So, so grassroots organizations in itself, just on surface, their ability to make change is it's, there's a ceiling to that, right? Institutions which which have massive resources, right? They have to be able to partner with grassroots organizations or community-based organizations to not only come up with the solutions, but to implement approaches together in order to address the problem. And that's what we were able to do. We, we were able to partner with institutions, government, uh, private industry, and in, 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 in private in the medical world and whatever, and with churches where we had our call centers, right? And we were reaching out with the National Witness Project, uh, a great CBO that was knocking on doors. And we just built, you know, we built a, a, a team, an approach uh, to address these issues. And, and, and you know, I give the, you know, the county executive a lot of credit for, for you know, saying, hey, yes, I'm going to invest in this. And he trusted. He trusted his community partners. He says, okay. Yeah, you have that kind of relationship with the community. You have a good plan, and so now we're going to invest resources in in that, and and it worked. And and so, um, you know, we have to understand that these problems have 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 come as a result of generations of neglect and abuse, and 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 we have to stop thinking that we can come up with some kind of slick programmatic effort. To to really dramatically change something with a fancy name, yeah, it's not going to do it. It can be part of an overall approach, gotcha. But there has to be a strategic way of doing things, and there has to be there has to be the the necessary collaborations and partnerships with you know community based organizations, uh, uh, community leaders, block clubs, whoever, right, who are on the ground. And institutions like hospitals and universities and government and private uh, corporations that come together around a single table to say how are we going to solve how are we going to solve this problem, and and so one of the things that came out of this igniting hope conference and out of this African American Health Equity Task Force is creating spaces whereas you know we we have three major outcomes out of this igniting hope, out of this out of this going to our sixth year of the igniting hope. One is the creation of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, which I have the honor of being the chair of. And this is a community-based organization that that focuses on research and programmatic development and advocacy and community engagement and policy, right? Then we we the University of Buffalo stepped up and created uh, the UB Community Research Institute which is going to focus on health disparities and health equity issues in the region and and be able to mobilize its resources, especially around research, right? And then the County of Erie 
through county law, through the leadership of of uh, uh, Chairwoman April Baskin, right, created the Department of Health Equity within the health department by county law. So it's not. It's, so it's not something that you know. It's not just going to go away in the next no, administration. No, 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 no. And so, and so they're again looking at policy and 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 and, and just published. Uh, maybe about six months ago, a tremendous health equity report around uh, the health of Erie County and beginning to look at issues of disparity and putting numbers behind it and then thinking about creative ways that we can begin to, to solve those things. So now we have a three you know, uh, significant organizations. The three of us work together uh, all the time. I think I'm on the board of, of the other two, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, but there's, but more than that, it's the, the, the constant, constant conversation and collaboration that came out of this igniting hope conferences, as well as many other things that are happening, you know, at the grassroots level. And, you know, we have, you know, an organization like Highmark who, who invested, made a five-year commitment, a five-year commitment to the Buffalo Center of Health Equity, you know, saying, hey, listen, you know, we see what you're doing and we want to partner with you on that. And this is not like a a kind of a grant like that is a, you know, like something that do a certain program, hand out some food or something like that. And I'm not not saying anything against those things. But this is is a corporation saying, hey, this is a commitment we're going to make because we see, we know the numbers, they know the numbers, Right, it's probably costing them money too, in a lot of ways, for sure. for all this sickness. So, but they also have a, a a corporate and community obligation. Independent Health has been a great partner uh, with us in in a lot of this work. Univera, all the insurers, but we created spaces, and then when Population Health Collaborative was merged with uh, Healthy Link, which has all mostly about ninety percent of the data, health data. And, and we were able to say, uh, because somebody you know was on the Population Health Collaborative Board, was able to say, okay, if we're going to do this merger, then you, Healthy League, has to make health equity a priority, part of your mission, right? And they said, yeah, we ought to do that. And now, so now Healthy League is, is supplying data and we're getting, beginning to, to look, being able to look more precisely about the health in certain communities. So, I mean, and so this is all came out of, that's where we started in 2014 or 2013 when none of this, and now we're about 10, eight to 10 years later, now we have, you know, uh, going concerns that are, are working on this. And now this year we're going to have our sixth conference. Uh, we're going to be focusing on, on oral health, uh, which is so, so important. And then we're also going to be talking about uh, uh, the issues of, historical issues of why uh, people of color have, have, have issues with the healthcare system um, and certainly having the Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks family in, and we'll go talk about that. Absolutely. We're going to get to, uh, take a short break. We'll come yeah. back with more with uh, Reverend George Nicholas as we continue. This is What's Next on WBFO. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. 
Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Frida creates her greatest work yet in the face of bereavement and scandal. Watch Becoming Frida Kahlo tonight at 9 on WNED PBS. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to What's Next. My name is Jay Moran. With me, the Reverend George Nicholas, uh, CEO and chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, uh, talking about uh, the Igniting Hope uh, conference coming up, building a healthy, just community for all. Um, Pastor Nicholas, uh, we did touch about this a little bit earlier on. Henrietta Lacks, a story from the early 50s, one, uh, quite a story in the sense this, this woman, unfortunately, African-American, she dies of cervical cancer. Her so-called immortal cells, though, get harvested and go and help with major medical breakthroughs. But the ethical part of that is nobody asks for permission, uh, not uh, from her or from her heirs as well. As a matter of fact, at the Igniting Hope conference this weekend, she will have family members as part of this yeah, discussion. Yeah. How, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, we're out? going to really be honored to to uh, have family members from Henry of Lax's family to be joining us in our, our conversation for Igniting Hope. And I gotta, we got to give the time. It's it's Saturday. Yeah. Uh, this Saturday from, uh, I think, 8 to, 8 to 3 or 8 to 4, you can go onto our website, buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. And that will take you directly to where you we need you. We're asking folks to to register, and we're going to feed you. You're going to have lunch, snacks, everything. You just all you need to do is just come and bring yourself. Okay. And we will take care of all your comfort while you're with us. Uh, and the conference is free. Uh, we, you know, we raise money uh, so that we don't want any barrier for a person. I don't want anybody to say, "Hey, I was going to come to your conference, but." So we try to think about all the butts, sure, and say, okay, there's no just all you got to do is just uh, go on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, register, come on down to the Jacob School of Medicine. It's on the bus line. It's you know, it's it's accessible, uh, and and spend the day with us uh, because I think it's going to be very very important. And so the issue around Henrietta Lacks really, uh, you know, and the fact that immortal cells and uh, but yet her cells were immortal, but she wasn't right. Right. And but the main thing really thinks makes me think about is just the relationship in general with people of African descent and this republic and the issue around consent. And the and the issue around the valuing the humanity of black people. Right. And how, you know, our humanity was robbed from us with the enslavement uh of our people for since 16, 19, 15, 19, go back into the South and Central America and the Caribbean and from 1619 to 1865 or, and really beyond. I don't think the, I don't think the Emancipation Proclamation was finally ratified in the state of Texas till like 1917 or something crazy number like that. Um, and 
And so the, you, you think about, you know, the fact that people can feel they have the right to harvest your cells, right? Or the right to uh, experiment upon uh, black women in order to uh, develop the the art and medicine and procedures around gynecology. If you think about all the experimentation upon black bodies in the medical field, so the Henrietta Lacks thing was not the only thing. No. It's one of the one of the most well known. It really just the issue of just consent and feeling like certain people feel like they have the right, right, to take something as personal as intimate as a part of your body. Right? Not only so it wasn't enough to rob us of our culture, of our identity, of income, of our way we practice religion, all kinds of stuff. But now, 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 feeling like you have the the right, the supreme right, and in some people's mind, a divine right, which is clearly it's not, mm. to take that, and and the fact that good came out of it is not relevant to the point of the process that occurred and then when you think about the you know the pharmaceutical industry and others who you know wherever there's there's medical advancements there's also profit yes that's for sure <laughs> right 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 <laughs> and so and so um people made money off of this but it wasn't it wasn't black people and so there's some serious ethical issues that are related to, you know, the Henrietta Lacks story. Um, there are huge ethical issues uh, around a lot of medical uh, practices, and I use the word practice intentionally, and the relationship of, of people of color. And also, when you think about the development of, of, of vaccinations and other things that oftentimes, you know, ex, uh, clinical trials and stuff may have only been done on people of, of European descent and and then the slight variation of, of between a person from European descent and African descent could have an impact on how uh, effective uh, uh, whatever uh, drug or thing was, was created. Uh, out of it, so, so I think it's a really important conversation that we have now, so that we don't repeat this. Because you know, a lot of stuff when people start talking about AI and all this other stuff, again, there's another opportunity. We got to have Dr. Jamal Williams from UB on. He's because he, he's brilliant about this, and he does a lot of research about uh, uh, genes and cells and all this other stuff, and and how. You know, this stuff, the, the medical world is going to really get really deeper into technology. And, and, and but is it going to be designed only for people of European descent mm. and not people of African descent? And, and, and it's trending that way. And so 
it's just it's just a sickness really that we've we've had in this country since its inception to devalue and undervalue people of color and it's just we gotta we gotta break through it has at some point it's got to stop and go ahead and I don't want to take you away from the the panel discussion and the the event this Saturday but at the same time the Henrietta Lack story that's early 50s here we are today what are we seeing with relationships with individual African Americans who are going to their doctor. What <laughs> what kind of relationships is there still that kind of lingering? Yes. I know better than you. Absolutely, patronizing I mean, kind of thing that just it's got to be a huge barrier when it comes to health. Yeah, I mean, there's a great there's a great there's a number of books out. One called Medical Apartheid that really uh, talks about you know the relationships with uh, uh, doctors and other uh, healthcare professionals and people of color. You know, and the the just the lack of listening and validating the humanity of the person that's sitting in front of you and coming to assumptions about them just because of the color of their skin. And that's something that's again documented. It's a real problem in the healthcare world. Um, and and we see it a lot in the area of maternal health. Okay. Right. And so where, you know, African-American women are three to four times more likely to have poor birth outcomes than white women. And and even black women who are professionals and have access to care and stuff have worse uh, birth outcomes than white women that are living wow. in poverty. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? And a lot of that has to do with you know, again, stress and trauma of institutional and structural racism, uh, the lack of prenatal care uh, resources, but it also is related to, um, you know, the relationships that a lot of black women have with their healthcare professionals. And even we've seen, you know, Serena Williams, you know, one of the most prominent black women in the world, almost lost her life giving birth to a child because her provider wouldn't listen to her. Beyonce had challenges when she had a child. And again, you know, this notion that, you know, when a black woman speaks, she doesn't know what she's talking about, even if it's related to her own body. And, and there's a reason why you don't see a lot of black people who are hooked on, on opioids and painkillers. Well, one of the main reasons is because black people are under-prescribed. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so deep. I mean, there's just the, just, and it's just this notion of, of just the lack of just seeing black people as human beings in this country and seeing us as, as, having the same wants and desires of peace and security and prosperity and and the ability to care for our children and see them prosper and and to care for our seniors you know I'm on the master plan of aging for the, for the for the state of New York and and just looking at how the issues of 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 dealing with aging in this state and 
And again, the issues of disparities, you know, and the challenges that our black seniors are having that that are, are more pronounced than what our white seniors are having around a lot of issues. Can you give me some examples? Well, again, housing. Right. Uh, quality of care in our uh, daycare facilities, nursing home type facilities. I mean, as a person that gets gets, gets around a little bit. Um, so you go to some of these facilities. Yeah, and they're not equal. They're just not. You know, and... Is it disturbing? It's extremely disturbing, you know, and just access to, to, to affordable housing with support and services. And then again, and then we're thinking about how the, the wealth gap... Um, um, plays a role there, right? So, so you know, if you don't have a lot of wealth and stuff saved up, then it's going to impact the level of care that you're going to be able to either provide for yourself or to provide for your mother and father, aunts, uncles, whoever, right? So that that wealth gap, it, it kicks in in a lot of parts of your life. But, you know, it really kicks in on, in a lot of ways when it comes time to, to caring for, for our seniors. Because a lot of times, because of the journeys in this country, um, a lot of money that our seniors have saved had to be invested or given to their, siblings, to their children or grandchildren, you know, to just basically survive. Right. And then when you see the disproportionate amount of African Americans that have uh, engaged in the criminal justice system and the disparities in, in bail, you know, people, you know, they jump to so many conclusions about bail reform and all these other issues and, and, and student, health, uh, student loan stuff and all this stuff. And all these things have, a again, a disproportionate, uh, 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 just there's a disparity in the impact. You know, I, I read a, a study once that said that like 20, 25 years after a person has graduated from college, uh, about 90% of whites uh, have paid off their student loans and and about 90% of blacks still are paying on them. Hmm. That's no, way all, to, that's no way to accumulate wealth, right? And so, so you know, so you have, you know, so you have income gaps, wealth gaps. You have, you know, there are all these these little hidden taxes, like for example, car insurance. You know, if you live in a black community, you're going to pay a higher rate, right? So there are all these things, right? That that press and down, a, and in a community like this, you have to have a car, right? And so there's just all these things that that just push. There's just this constant pushing down. Uh, there's data shows that the impact of, of systemic racism begins to break down your body. You know, and so uh, because stress, collective trauma. Think about the trauma that this community went through on May 14th. Right. right? I think about. This year, uh, this summer, um, and I want to call her name, Miracle Hunt. And Miracle uh, was a 13-year-old girl who 
uh, tragically uh, lost her life when she was shot in the head on one of our streets in our community. And she wasn't out gangbanging. She was just hanging out. It was one of those hot nights in August or July or something. And maybe it was late. So what? And um, somebody had a gun and whatever. And we live in a community when a 13-year-old girl, black girl, gets murdered. And maybe it's in a news cycle a day or two. A 13-year-old white girl in Orchard Park gets shot in the head and dies. Something would happen. Something would change. Right. I don't know what it would be, right? Right. But something they would pass something or something. You know what I mean? And 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 it's just the lack of of just valuing human life of black people. And and you know I preach the funeral and just seeing the pain and the anguish and the the hurt of the people in that room that day and, and especially the young people. And just thinking about this the trauma. You know, and thinking about when school started, and uh, she was a student in one of the Buffalo Public Schools, in which my wife works, and and just the re-trauma being re-traumatized again, because it will come up with her classmates when she's not there. Mm. And and so, so we have to we have to change. What we're doing is not working. And it doesn't mean I'm not being critical of people who are doing great work. There's so many organizations that are doing great, great work trying to, as I put, put their finger in the dam. But we need systemic change, right? And that's what we're trying to build through this movement. That's what we call it igniting hope because it's aspirational, right? We talk about the issues that we're going to talk about, not as a uh, not as a lament, but to get us to understand the seriousness of the problem, so that we our response will be as serious, right? And it it it, it, it it's got to happen, man, because what what it, what we have now is not sustainable. We can't continue to have. The things that we see in in the black community, and it just can't keep going on and on because at some point it comes to a point of 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 no return, right? And and we don't want to get there. When you talk about change, and obviously you've thought a lot about this because you probably have used the word change maybe a hundred times <laughs> in this conversation. Every time raising questions for me, but is that change? only going to come from policy change or is it, you know, that, and I, I hate that cliche, but changing hearts and minds. Yeah, I mean, it's going to come when it's important to us, right? So I'll use an example. It was important to this community to have a new football stadium. So we got, we're getting one. Why? Because the people that have the power and influence to 
make things happen, said, this is important to us. So we're going to do it. When they wanted to build that Tesla plant, it was important to them. And we did it. When is it going to be important to bring equity into this region? When is it somebody going to say, you know what, this is something that is important, not just to black people, but to all people. It's important to all for all of us, right? That we, you know, we don't want to live in a, in a region where these dramatic disparities are are part of day-to-day life and that we just accept them as, well, that's just the way it is. It may be the way it is, but it's not the way it has to be. And the disparities that we see in this region are not because of divine action. It's because of human neglect. They don't happen accidentally. There's been some intentionality. Certainly around creating this stuff. So we have to, people of good conscience, and you know what's interesting when I have these conversations, the vast majority of people agree with that, that we need to change, we need to do something else. I mean, people, they care, people, it's this notion that people don't care, that people do care, but they're just frustrated, they don't know what to do, right? And so we, what we're trying to do at Igniting Hope is trying to create these tables, create spaces where we can bring people. What's so great about our conference, when we break into small groups, you'll have business leaders, a college professor, a block club person, a youth sitting around the same table having a conversation about these issues, not about other stuff, but about how do we create this this kind of place where 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 every individual in this region has an equal opportunity to live a whole and healthy life. Why is that such a radical desire, right? Why does that seem to be so impossible? Why does that seem to be so unrealistic, right? And, and what we can't do is we can't afford to allow the people with privilege to dictate the time schedule or timetable for change. Right. So it's got to be there has to be a sense of urgency, because as we sit here and do this interview, there are people that are really going through some very, very difficult times and an uncertainty about what the uh, the future will bring. One of the things we've seen in rounds of mental health is we've seen a dramatic increase in in mental health issues in the black community, but also suicide. Right. So there was a time when suicide was so taboo in the black community that really the suicide numbers were not high. But in some for some age groups and some cohorts, it's increased by 60 and 70 percent over the last 10 years. So, you know, we have to to become much more serious about these issues. Uh, We have to put we have to be willing to build the kind of collaborations and coalitions. We have to, my father's 97 and he's an engineer. And I love how engineers think. He always wanted me to be an engineer. (laughs) But engineers are problem solvers. And engineers look at what is and then think about where you want to go 
and then everything in between. What, what are the steps that we need to take to get to where we want to be? And you can't skip steps. You can't say, well, I don't really want to do this. But if you want to achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve, if you're trying to build that what you're trying to build, you got to do all steps. Do you think, and I hate to put, the, put you on the spot about political things here, but when you, when you said you've got to know what the problem is, you've got to know where you want to go, is there just that lack of, of a vision, for lack of a better term, or a specific, specific, specificity yeah, in so the true. vision when it comes to, yeah, this has got to happen. This has got to happen on Buffalo's east side. It can't just be. It's not one thing, though. I mean, I understand it, that, yeah. but is there is there a lack of that? We're getting there. This is where we're going. We're going to solve these other issues along right. the way and get there. So at some point, yes, there is a complete lack of vision there, and 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 I say that not to dis- class dispersions at the people in position, but at the outcomes. It's all about. See, we got to stop being so thin-skinned and so emotional about stuff, and just look at outcomes. Right. Right. You know, and um, and if you like if you came to my church and you had a terrible experience and something happened, I don't know, I would have to be accountable. I would say, look, I wouldn't blame somebody. I said, OK, yeah, that's, I'm the pastor there. But I got to figure this thing out. And I, but I want to hear from you. I want to tell I want to know why was it a bad experience for you and and not and not feel offended and. You know, or to discount what you're saying and say, "Oh no, that's not what really happened." No, this was what this was your experience, and then try to take corrective action to look inward, right? And and so we, as it relates to the issues around the black community, we just hadn't have not had that conversation. We just haven't, and and I can say that with with great certainty because of the data, the outcomes, the things that you see. The proof is there. Yes. You know, and, and, and so, but we take things, I don't know, it, we, we got to, at one point in life, someone had a conversation about, I want to create an iPhone. And the person who had that conversation at first didn't have all the, he didn't know exactly how it was going to work, right. or whatever, didn't know all the steps, right? Didn't, you know, we, I, I, sometimes when you raise these issues, people say, well, what's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? What's your, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, I have plans, but, the, you know, why must we, I have the proverbial plan, the plan, right? When the person's afraid, I thought he didn't have the plan, but what it did, he cre- they created an environment to say, yes, we can do this. This is something that can happen. And so let's figure out all the things that we need to figure out in order to get there. And now today in 2023, you have you can hold in your hand a library, a movie studio, uh, whatever, right? You can make phone calls. Right. <laughs> but you know what's cool? You can make phone calls all over the world. Reverend, <laughs> but you're telling me how we, but then you can tell me we can't bring equity. Come on, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have to stop you there because we're running out of time. Reverend George Nicholas, the Igniting Hope Conference this Saturday, September right? September 30th. Please yeah. go to uh, 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 buffalohealthequity.org. Buffalohealthequity.org. Just log on and you'll get all the information to come. And we're really looking forward. You know what? We already have 280 people pre-registered. Excellent. 
People do awesome. care. Yes. People do care. Yes. Reverend Nicholas, always a great pleasure. Thank you. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.